Right now on Tech Radio, get ready to hang out with the stars. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. We are constantly amazed at the involvement the Irish tech industry has with actual real space exploration. And today we're going to find out a little bit more about how regular people, if you want, are literally watching all of this from their back gardens here in Ireland. That's a little later with Ronan Newman, who is founder of the first ever Irish Astronomy Week, which is coming up next week. Also on the show today, we're going to be looking at the financial meltdown in Silicon Valley, the hot new chat GPT-4, and some bad news from Meta. All coming on episode 961. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, is here with me. Two really big stories this week, I suppose. ChatGPT4 and also money, 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 money. Silicon Valley bank collapse. Do we do we want to? Yeah, this is where we're going to start, is it? With, with catastrophe. It's basically you wait for one bank failure to come along and two <laughs> happen at the same time. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm being a bit mean, but at the same time, it's a good joke. So I mean, I'm use well, it. maybe so, but you know, it is it is a big deal, and I think kind of like when you hear Silicon Valley Bank, and you kind of go, ah, you know, kind of it, it, it's so far away, and and it's to do with the the tech industry. But they're saying it's the second biggest bank collapse in the states. Well, that's right. Yeah. And the last one, well, the biggest one is still Washington Mutual, which happened in 2008. Mm. Uh, Bank was the same year. Uh, that was uh, 2008 as well. So that was the big banking crash, which led to the Great Recession, as they call it over there. Uh, we've had two within a week over here. Um, we had Silicon Valley Bank, which is the big one uh, to talk about. Mm. We also had Signature Bank, which went down as sort of a, a contagion. Whenever a bank goes down, people are always worried about contagion. You know, is it, which bank is it going to affect next? For example, we had Credit Suisse um, this week again, uh, sort of our third bank uh, that we that we would talk about. Um, but that seems to have been propped up as as we're talking now. Things mm. seem to have stabilized. But uh, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, and of course, this is a bank that specializes in VC money and startup money, uh, very often, you know, very expensive deals. But anyway, uh, and this is just a, a bank that marketed itself to this sector. And, you know, this is who they're pr- particularly good at looking after. And it was a very simple thing. It was a run on the bank, right? People got very anxious about all the money that they had in the bank, oh my goodness, the bank is in trouble. We got to take out all our money. The bank says, no, hang on, everything is fine. Uh, and then it's not. And mm. then the bank has gone bust and the regulator comes in and says, right, we're closing the bank. Mm. Uh, now we have to sift through all the insured deposits, which in the States is under 200,000. The government picks up the tab for that, uh, 250,000. Uh, anything over that that you have in savings is called an uninsured uh, deposit, which is sort of, uh, then you're into how much can you get once the bank is sort of broken into pieces and sold off. And that's, so, that's very similar to the EU thing where, you know, kind of our deposits in the bank are covered up to a hundred grand. Yeah, uh, exactly, okay, exactly. Okay, fine. So what caused the run on the bank? It was basically over sort of the last few years, um, the bank had taken a very uh, prudent and conservative approach to how it was going to deal um, with its money. And what it was doing was it was buying up sort of treasury bonds and very conservative 
um, sort of uh, commodities, mm. right? Um, so it had a, a certain amount of, of funds built up. Unfortunately, they were using fixed rate um, bonds. I'm slightly, you know, I'm not a finance person, mm. but give me give me a break here. Um, they were using fixed rate assets when at a time of variable rate inflation was increasing, increasing, mm. which meant that the assets that they were holding actually would end up being sold off at a loss. And people saw that, oh wait, Silicon Valley Bank is making a loss. What's going on? Because it looked like they were going to lose something in the region of $17 billion. Uh, people got very antsy over that, very concerned, mm. started taking out their money. This turned into a $42 billion run on the bank. Yikes. And and the tech connection here really is is the fact that they fund a lot of tech companies, a lot of tech companies yeah, that exactly. have big deals. Yeah. So I was looking at some of the brands that are involved with Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, Roku, uh, Circle, mm-hmm. who do uh, a lot of online payments, uh, Etsy, uh, Pinterest. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, really big names. Uh, I've got money in this bank. And if it goes under, that's going to have a knock-on effect. Uh, yeah, and they would fall into the uninsured uh, deposit category as well yeah. because these are very, very successful businesses uh, in the main, uh, one would like to think. So, uh, yeah, for the regular person, you know, the regular person funding their startup or mm. something like that, probably fine. It's when you get up sort of the ladder quite a bit. And I suppose when you look at the tech sector, it can be quite quick getting up that ladder. Mm. But um, yeah. So uh, not a, not a great time. The contagion did spread to another bank called um, Signature Bank, uh, and it also spread to another bank which you wouldn't have heard of called Silvergate. Much much smaller operation. So Signature was, I think it's like the third, yeah, the third biggest failure, um, uh, which also would have had some exposure to tech, but mm. um, also gone down Silvergate Bank, whose Unfortunately, they had an awful lot of exposure to crypto assets. Ah, I knew crypto would come into this somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It would happen. It's like all those, all those uncool boomers, they just didn't understand how the new market was going to work. Yeah. Um, And then something like this happens. So there's been a, a, a lot of uh, ruction in the industry, but as you say that it's starting to kind of calm out just a little bit and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. More bad news as well this week and it's affecting Ireland as well. Mm. And I think this is interesting. There's a couple of interesting things about this. Meta. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last November, uh, Meta, parent company of Facebook, mm. announced that it was cutting 11,000 jobs uh, and people got very, very upset over this. Um, this was the first time the company had really, I suppose, gone backwards Yeah, uh, for all its years of constant development, constant growth, product development, getting in trouble with people, but still being more than able to afford the fines as a result of it. This was a, you know, a company in what seemed like inexorable exponential growth. Um, and then all of a sudden, post-COVID, like an awful lot of tech firms, they realized, oh, there isn't as much demand for what we're doing. Mm. Or, oh, there's been a shift in technology. Or, oh, we're having a row with one of our, with a a platform that's going to restrict our access to user data, uh, which is what's happening in uh, with Facebook and Apple. Or, oh, we have blown $10 million on a folly called the metaverse. 
uh, that's not making any money for us. Mm. Uh, so little things like this um, and Facebook sort of uh, their share price dipped to a low of $88. Mm. Very, very low indeed uh, around November. And then since it has announced the cuts uh, in November, and now we are into what they call their year of efficiency, uh, which is a total reorganization uh, of the company, um, they have announced another 10,000 jobs to go. And they had 5,000 jobs advertised, uh, which are now not going to be filled. Wow. So, all so, told, their workforce has gone from 87,000 at its peak, mm. just before November, down to 66,000. Crikey. It's a lot of bodies. That, that's a lot of bodies. And you, you don't want to hear that because, I mean, Meta is a huge employer in, in Ireland and you don't want to, I'd hate to be in the building where they're going, hey, we're having a town hall meeting. Yay. Oh, Good news. I tell Mark, you, you Mark, hear Mark something like on. that. 2023 is going to be the year of efficiency. Yay, Yay. let's buy into that idea. (laughs) Do you know what I find is really interesting about this is when I read the news reports is Meta, the the news report always goes, Meta informed the department of the Taoiseach what Mm. was happening. Like what other company in Ireland gets onto the department of the Taoiseach to say that we're letting people go? Well, I suppose Microsoft would. Yeah, but that, that, yeah that, that's what I'm saying. That's how big Meta are an employer in a, in in Ireland, and I think it's also yeah. showing as well. You know, the only other thing I see about Meta at the moment, as well as the layoffs, Metaverse is just it's a dog turd. It it has been well. Look, for the moment, it has been a disaster. Mm. We don't have you know people aren't clambering to get Oculus headsets into their. Uh, Households, no. the rollout of applications is far too slow. Yeah. There's just nothing to do on it. It's it's just blue sky thinking still. It's, yeah, yeah. It's just not taking off. Nobody is kind of like into Unlike, unlike hmm? GPT chat. Chat GPT, which, which we're all very out. excited about. I know, but what I'm saying is, you know, Meta been banging on about uh, this metaverse and they changed the company name from Facebook to Meta and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. all right? And it's just not yeah. getting any traction. Uh, mm. OpenAI then put Chat GPT 3.5 out into the world in November. And now, look, we're like four months later, five months later, everything is AI. Like we everything is AI. cannot get enough of it. Cannot we get enough cannot of it. Everybody is using it anywhere and everywhere. It's unreal. And then the other big story then this week is that they've released a GPT version four. Version four. Now, okay, here's the interesting thing. And we were having a very brief discussion about this. It's what what is new? You know, because we've just gotten used to um, chat GPT. It's mm. like, what can you possibly be adding in that will make us stop playing with it as it is? And do something else. And some of this goes back to our conversation with Mary Rose Lyons a couple of weeks ago, mm. where it's a matter of figuring out how to ask the right questions. Prompt. Because, you know, all the information is there. You just need to find out the best way to ask the question that it will give you back a great answer. Right. Now, they have added a new way to add a question in that it is now taking what they're calling multimodal inputs. It's basically, you can use images now as well as text. Now that sounds fantastic because you can show it a picture of some eggs, flour, 
milk or whatever, you can go, what can I make with this? And the computer yeah. camera will recognize what's there and it'll throw you some recipes. Or you can, yeah. if you're out, like with Google Maps, all right, uh, mm. a great example of where it could be used is you point your camera at something, you go, what's that? And then, yeah. you know, your phone will say, well, actually, that's the such and such building and da, 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 and this is what they do here. And you kind of go, oh, grand. That, that is amazing, all right? When I heard that, here's what I thought, okay? I thought, mm-hmm. okay, so if you could show a computer a, a, a picture and it can process that information, how far away are we from iRobot? Where you, yeah, where yeah. it's looking at video and it's looking around and it's able to process the information as we do as human beings, listening and viewing what's around it and taking all that information in and then making decisions on what to do next based on that. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's in the interpretation because you can do a reverse Google image search. I mean, it's not, you know, it's it's there in the world. Uh, one of the things, another thing that OpenAI have said about, Chat G, uh, about GPT-4 is, uh, look, We've sorted out a few things. It's going to be less biased. There's, it's going to be less biased. Uh, and it won't make up so many facts. Now, those are two things. <laughs> those are kind of red flags when it comes to anything you want to rely upon. It's, it's like, it sounds as good as, you know, I, I did my essay for college. I was on <laughs> Wikipedia all night. You, know, it's, you don't... It's not a great answer. It, no, it's, it's not, but it's it's still learning. And I think even the people over in OpenAI, they'll say, look, it's not as good as it could be. All yeah, right. But yeah. it's getting there. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's fact, a process. And it's a process. And the fact that it is developing so fast. I mean, the, the demo that they did was just stunning. All right. Guy is mm-hmm. standing there and he's got, all right, uh, I have a notebook here and I was just, you know, kind of drawing in some notes and pictures and boxes about, about a joke website that I want to design. He yeah. took a photograph of that paper notebook page and mm-hmm. he put it into ChatGPT4 and mm-hmm. said, make me a joke website based on this. And it went off and it wrote the code and it sourced some jokes and boom, boom, boom. And then you had a web page. Now, it wasn't a great looking web page, but oh my God, to take it from a notebook that you were scribbling some notes in the bus and to boom, website. I mean, I think that's stunning. There was another one where they did... Um, it was kind of like another version of uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, where they told ChatGPT4 to read the tax law and to calculate the tax for this couple based on that. Hmm. And off it that's, went. And that's it handy. Did it. That is handy, isn't it? Um, so it's just the things that they can do are unreal. Hmm. Unreal. Yeah. Um, at the moment, if you want to get your hands on it, it's still very limited. They say even if you're paying for it, because you can get ChatGPT Plus, uh, which is a paid version, and it is available in that, all right, but it's still a limited format. Um, mm. What I think is interesting is not so much that it's out there in the world with the public, but it's who's actually been using it for the last little while. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft have been using ChatGPT 4 for the last mm-hmm. couple of months. Stripe mm-hmm. are using it. Um, Duolingo are using it. You know the the language app? Mm, yeah. I love this, all right? If you're learning a language, all right, so you can go through these like little, okay, we are going into a coffee shop and we are going to order a coffee, all right? And mm. if you're listening to a tape or whatever, some kind of a lesson, you get the same thing over and over. But what Duolingo is able to do is it's able to simulate that conversation and to do it in many, many different ways. Mm. Throw in new words, different tenses, different ways of asking for the same thing and all that. And every time you practice, you're getting something different. What a great use of AI that is. Mm. What yeah. a great use. Yeah. I know the first question that I'm going to ask when I get my hands on GPT-4. Okay, go on. 
I'm going to say, please come up with a new name for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. <laughs> well, it's going to have Tron at the end of it. <laughs> that Tron at the, I'll put Tron at the end of it. There you go. No, thank you, as always, for keeping us up to date. Remember, you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Astronomy might bring to mind images of satellites and giant telescopes and planetariums, but that's not the whole story. There is a huge community here in Ireland of amateur stargazers who are only too willing to share their ideas and experience from behind much more modest equipment. So it's quite a big thing that all next week, the first Irish Astronomy Week will be taking place. To find out more about it, Niall Kitson went straight to the source and met with the founder of the week, Ronan Newman, to find out more. Ronan, before we get into the, the nitty, nitty gritty details of Astronomy Week, tell us a little bit about your own relationship with the stars, because I tend to find that uh, anyone working within a community or organising within a community has a pretty good story to tell. Yes, thanks, thanks for having me on the programme. <coughs> um, yes, my own interest started when I was seven years of age and uh, just the nice guy, the stars in general, uh, I joined Gaul Astronomy Club in 1998 and I eventually went from the lower levels up, became secretary and, and then the chairman. Um, started organising talks, organised their, their festivals. and But like I've kind of, the last couple of years, I've kind of got away from clubs and I've gone back to my roots, giving talks around the country on all different topics of, of astronomical topics and especially the aurora. That's a huge passion of mine going out photographing the aurora from Ireland and um, it's a lot of people doing it but I do my own stuff and then I do talks on it so that's really where I'm at the moment but I kind of moved on I suppose again with Irish Astronomy Week um, um, I suppose it's, it's been an interest it's been an, something, an idea of mine for a long time it's happened in the UK over the last 10 or 15 years it's been done and I was kind of talking well maybe if they can do it there why can we do it here in the UK they have 200 clubs 200 astronomy clubs in Ireland we've got 20 so I said to myself, you know, this is a lot more manageable for 20 clubs, but I was very wrong because of the amount of emails I've sent in the last couple of months trying to organise this, but it's coming together and it's nearly there. Like, so it's, it's, it's a huge, it will be a big event. Yes. So you made mention of the sort of the network of clubs that's out there in Ireland. Um, it sounds like a fairly, a fairly small bunch. Is there an, uh, an awful lot of um, sort of interplayer socialising between them? Like, how do they organise? Well, each I would say they're not. They're, they're all kind of linked together by one group we call IFOS, which is the Irish Federation of Astronomical Societies. That's like the umbrella group. But each club kind of does their own thing. Really, they're very much individual clubs, and they all have their own meetings, and they're all in the major cities. And there's lots of small ones in little places, which back up beyond places, little astronomy clubs, and they all do their own events and their own observing events. And it's all science, and there's lots of they get they do get academic speakers in to give talks on various aspects and. Lots of amateur astronomers like myself come to them and give talks. It is, and it's a social thing too. Like it's very, very different from what you expect. It's, it's I suppose it's it's a quieter hobby too. Like it's it's lovely getting out into nature, just look, looking up and you know getting in touch with nature with the, with the night sky. Um, but yeah, the astronomy clubs are a great way. It's a great way of meeting people too. Like it's 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 very different. It's a different, different, very different hobby, you know, hobby to most hobbies. But it's very, very enjoyable too. And I mean, you're always learning. There's always something to learn. It's about learning. And that's the best thing about it. And 
you know, teaching it and learning it. it like you'll never, ever you'll not learn that new astronomy. Every week there's always something new about the universe that you learn. I suppose that that kind of speaks to the theme of this year's event, which is the stars for everyone. Because one imagines yes. that astronomy yes. is, it's the James Webb telescope, it's the Hubble telescope, it's these yes. giant facilities around the world. Yes. Uh, yes. And yet at the same time, it can be these small clubs. Yes, basically it's, a, it's, it's to use these clubs now to spread the word, uh, the word of, of astronomy to the public. That's, you know, as I said, lots of these clubs are individual clubs. I want to see more people get into astronomy. I want to see more young people getting interested in astronomy. Uh, lot, you go to a lot of these clubs and you see a lot of grey hairs. You know, it's nice to see a lot of new people in the clubs just to learn about it and come in, rise up the ranks of clubs and become secretary or become chairmen. You know, new ideas, fresh ideas into the clubs. And, you know, these people are the very people... Like a lot of astrophysicists nowadays or, you know, science engineers, they started off in learning astronomy. And this we want to try and we want to get a lot of these young people into astronomy, you know, to do a STEM subject, maybe go on and become an astrophysicist or work in a science center or planetarium or something like that. But it's something, it's like a seed that you put in their minds when they're young, especially when they're maybe seven or eight years of age. Because, okay, when you get 14, 15, they have no interest. But if you get, like myself, I start at seven and we're hoping we will have events for children at that age, like this arts and crafts, um, drawing, rocket workshops, things like that. Like just to stir the mind and, okay, you won't, might not like the first time, but if you go back, maybe you might just say, oh, that was good. Like I might go to a club or I might join a club with my father or something like that. Like it's a great way of stirring the interest. And all these events is, as I said, it's just to try and stir an interest in young people to get interested in astronomy. That's the whole team of the stars for everyone and everyone in Ireland, as we could say. And I said, it's a totally, it's, it's an independent, it's all the independent clubs. And as I said, there's 20 clubs and there's, there's 20 clubs. And then we've also got the likes of Armagh Planetarium, Dunsink Observatory, Blackrock Observatory, um, Borough Castle Observatory, all these other um, entities that are related to astronomy, and they're also involved uh, there's Greencastle Planetarium as well, which is up, up the north, and we've got Skull Planetarium down in Cork. So there's an awful lot of other places, other than just astronomy clubs, involved in it. So it sounds like there's a great appetite for knowledge out there. Uh, and, knowledge, yes. You know, trying to get as many people involved at as young an age as possible. Yes. Um, there's tremendous involvement from libraries uh, this year. Um, tell us a little yes. bit about how well, the, the yes. libraries have embraced said, this uh, series of events. Uh, so, yes. Well, the whole the whole idea says, first, I started off with the clubs and I kind of said, well, how can I branch this out more? So I kind of said, I looked at other ideas and I thought maybe libraries and libraries have actually turned out to be the best because as I said about the, the, the clubs and their timing and everything else, the libraries can have talks and the libraries have been fantastic and their, their enthusiasm for it. And people who work in these libraries, they know nothing about astronomy. They're lost, you know, but they're delighted for someone to come in, come in. And a lot of these events now are private events for schools only. And there's some other events which are taking place in the evening time for, for the public, but a majority at the moment are for schools. And there's... A lot, all the talks are for amateur astronomers and they're coming giving talks. A lot of them are on astrophotography, pictures. Um, there's a woman from, from um, Castlebar, she's giving a talk. She does drawing and sketching, you know, sketching of the night sky. Things like that, like I said, that'll 
you know, draw young people's mind. Um, I say we've about 30 libraries already involved. Now, on top of that now, we I also have on our website, I've got an, an ebook section. So you can go into our website, website and you can download an ebook or you can go in and download an e-comic for your child. Uh, there's like 50 altogether. There's, there's NASA e-books or e-comics and it's also NASA e-astrobiology comics. So it, it might sound very, very you know difficult, but they're actually set for children. They're written by NASA. And like there's other topics like what caused the aurora? What are cosmic rays? What's, what is the ozone? What is, you know, um, global warming? Things like that, like for children, to let children understand how these things, processes actually work, you know, and it's there on the website and the libraries can use these. Um, the 160 libraries that are involved are also um, doing book displays. They'll do their book displays of the libraries. Um, I'm also in the process of printing uh, 20,000 bookmarks they're being printed next week, hopefully, and they're going out to all these libraries across the country. And I'm going to be very, very busy wrapping uh, parcels in the next couple of weeks, printing, sending them out to so 20,000. So all these children get these beautiful bookmarks and posters, and these have been designed by the Dunleary Institute of Art and Design. These are top class, and they had a competition in the college, in the, the actual art um, college or art um, class, to be able to make the best bookmark and the best poster and they are beautiful you know absolutely they're spectacular they're beyond that and i could imagine because they come from art students and they come from with an artistic mind and you know just they're fantastic and all the children are going to get them for free everything is for free and the whole event is for free there's i know our man planetarium might have some charges for their planetarium shows but the whole idea is to make it free and available to everyone you know, at no charge and if anyone wants to learn more about the festival where can they go Um, it's on Irish Astronomy Week. Sorry, www.irishastronomyweek.ie, and there's also on Facebook and there's a Twitter. Uh, if you want to learn anything, if you want to ask a specific question about anything, anything about even we got to astronomy, if you go on the Facebook page, there's a link there for WhatsApp. Click that link and ask me questions that go straight to me. Uh, answer anybody's questions, any questions at all in relation to astronomy or astronomy week. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Ronan Newman, founder of Irish Astronomy Week. For more information, you can visit irishastronomyweek.ie and that link in the show notes for you right now. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. There are more stories online we didn't have time to chat about today, including how Equinix is turning a data centre into a greenhouse. Great idea. The Irish contribution to an air pollution measurement project in Vietnam. And we also have good news for training teachers who are looking to get into STEM. You'll find all those stories right now on our website at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra. You can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening, and have a great St. Patrick's weekend. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.